So the scripture this morning is James chapter 1, verse 26. And then I go over to chapter 3 and read verses 2 through 12. Um, and as I read this, Pastor mentioned in his prayer that we believe that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is the word of God this morning. If anyone considers himself... Oh, sorry. Stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. All right. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then moving over, hang on just a second. Okay, James chapter 3. Starting in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, (coughs) excuse me, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring Produce fresh water. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Well, I was going to say something about Ron and Linda, but Julie kind of covered that turf for me. So we will miss you. Let me say that. And we pray God's blessing upon you as you go. Just a little quick rehearsal this morning of our mission statement. Do you know what the first facet of our mission statement is? Great. What's the second? Connect people with Jesus. And the third? 
Good. We'll keep working on that. Pretty soon you won't have to look at your bulletin anymore. Oh, and I hope you're, you're praying for your neighbors. Um, we kind of did, uh, when I first laid this out, you know, it was, uh, we pray, we pray for five neighbors, we pray five blessings on their lives, five minutes a day, uh, five days a week for five weeks or something like that, but I want to take the five weeks off the end of that. I want that to be indefinitely, okay? So just a reminder about that. Well, if, um, the reason I'm, I'm spending, it will actually end up being three sermons on this particular passage, is because of what James says in that first verse that Dean read for us this morning. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Listen, we might have our act together in all the external ways. People look at us and it looks like we do all the right, right things and don't do all the things we shouldn't don't do. Did that make sense? <laughs> we don't do the things we're not supposed to do. But this thing, we might get all those things together and we might be doing all the right things, but this thing can still get us in trouble, can it? Right here? So... Because we, you know, we might have a grip on a lot of these other things in our lives, we, I think all of us at some point still struggle with the things that come out of our mouths. If you've spent any time in the book of Proverbs, you've, you might have been impressed by the number of scriptures that deal with our words, the things that come out of our mouths. The, the, uh, the writer of the Proverbs deals with that issue quite a bit. You know, fishing lures are a bait that you can use over and over again. Boop. Okay? Um, there are exceptions, but generally you cast them out and reel them back in. Words, however, are not like that. If we are careless with words, we may act like they're fishing lures, but in reality, once they're out, we can never reel them back in again. We might wish we could. We probably, maybe on a number of occasions, wished, oh boy, I wish I could take that back. I want to share with you some food for thought. These are not biblical quotes, but they're still uh, very meaningful. An old saying, three things come not back. The spent arrow, the spoken word, and the lost opportunity. The compliment was once paid to a great linguist that he could be silent in seven languages. <laughs> Washington Irving once said, a sharp tongue is the only edge tool that grows keener with constant use. Maybe the eyes are the window to the soul, but, they, but that still doesn't make the mouth the door to the brain. A hot-headed woman once told John Wesley, My talent is to speak my mind. Replied Mr. Wesley, Woman, God wouldn't care a bit if you would bury that talent. (laughs) 
saving face is often accomplished by keeping the lower part of it shut. So today, in a manner of speaking, we're going to climb aboard a bronc that's never been ridden. Untamed. We're going to tackle the untamable tongue. See, words are incredibly powerful for good and evil. Um, someone in making this observation has said the pen is more powerful than the sword. The words do have words do have tremendous power, and they must be used carefully. A visitor to the, a visitor to the U.S. attempted to answer a question about his family. Do you have any children? Trying to explain that his wife could not have a child, he said, My wife is impregnable. Seeing that the word wasn't quite proper, he said, No, you see, my wife is inconceivable. Again, realizing that his adjective wasn't appropriate, he finally and triumphantly exclaimed, You see, my wife is unbearable. (laughs) Nice try. The, the following sentences are literal, taken from actual letters received by public welfare departments. I cannot get six pay, sick pay. I cannot get sick pay. I have six children. Can you tell me why? I am glad to report that my husband, who was reported missing, is dead. I am very much annoyed to find that you have branded my boy illiterate, as this is a dirty lie. I was married a week before he was born. (laughs) Mrs. Jones has not had any clothes for a year and has been visited by the clergy regularly. (laughs) Need to be careful what you say, don't you, or how you say it, that's for sure. All of us have been affected lastingly by words spoken to us. Things, think of things said to you as a child. You can probably recall some things said to you as a child. I don't care how old you are. All of us can remember instances where we were belittled, made fun of, called names, told we couldn't do it, or that we would never amount to anything. Counselors and pastors in their work deal with the lasting effects of words all the time. Do you remember the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Yeah. I don't know who came up with that one, but it's just not true. Because words can break our hearts. Broken words can heal with time, but a broken spirit by words of death is not easily repaired. Calvin Coolidge said, I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. And Proverbs 10.19 puts it this way. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. On the other side of that same coin, you may have been encouraged to excel or pursue a dream, change your behavior or try something new that you grew to love because someone believed in you and said so. 
Charles Swindoll tells a story about a guy he went to seminary with. This man had a bright red birthmark that covered half his face. After Chuck got to know him a little bit, he finally got up the courage to ask him what, his hap- what had happened. His friend answered by telling him what his dad had told him. His dad said, Son, that birthmark is where an angel kissed your face. You have it so that, it can, so that I can always pick you out of a crowd. Swindoll's friend then turned to him and said, You know, I almost feel sorry for those who don't have a birthmark. That dad spoke words of life to his son, and his son was still living off those words years later. So our focus today, and in the sermon that I'll share with you again next week, um, is going to be, I'm afraid... Featuring more the negative side of what comes out of our mouths because we really need to be cautious there. It's what causes the problems. I've in my pastoral career had to confront folks about some hurtful and inappropriate things they've said. But, I'm, but I would also say that I've never had to confront anyone who said things that were too kind, encouraging, or edifying. That has never been a problem. So now about the tongue, or more about the tongue, because we talked about it yesterday. We start with this. Every follower of Jesus must be especially diligent in regards to controlling the tongue. It's amazing how quickly we can ruin our Christian witness with the things that come out of our mouths. Psalm 39.1, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. A commentator has said, we can ruin our reputation and our contribution to other people with a few ill-chosen words. Satan delights in controlling our tongue. Then he does not have to control anything else. Again, from James, what he says in this passage we read today, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check, which implies then that that is an issue. Jesus ben Sirach, Jewish writer of the work Ecclesiasticus, makes these observations about words. Honor and shame is in talk, and the tongue of a man is his fall. The stroke of the whip maketh marks in the flesh, but the stroke of the tongue breaketh the bones. Many have fallen by the edge of the sword, but not so many as have fallen by the tongue. The tongue can damage at a distance. The Jewish rabbis have this picture. Life and death are in the hand of the tongue. Has the tongue a hand? No. But as the hand kills, so the tongue. The hand kills only at close quarters. The tongue is called an arrow because it kills at a distance. An arrow kills at 40 or 50 paces, but the tongue, it is said, and then quotes from Psalm 70, verse 9, 
They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts throughout the earth. It ranges over the earth and reaches heaven. Boy, that's some long distance. And in 2 Timothy verse 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says to us, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And William Barclay, in commenting on that passage, says this, Paul says of these senseless talkers that they progress further and further into ungodliness. They, pro- they progress in reverse. The more they talk, the farther they get from God. Here then is the test. If at the end of our talk we are closer to another and to God, then all is well. But if we have erected barriers between one another and but if we have erected barriers between one another and have left God more distant, then all is not well. The aim of all Christian discussion and all Christian action is to bring a man nearer to his fellows and God. And such should be our speech. And then this point. The Apostle Paul said that would say that our speech should edify or build up. If you read the writings of Paul, you remember that. If it does not do those things, Paul says it should not be said. Again, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Imagine the difference it would make in our lives and especially in our relationships at home, work, and in the church if we abided by these exhortations all the time. The psalmist said in Psalm 17, verse 3, I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. You know, sometimes the problem here is that we don't think before we speak. My dad would have said that your mouth got ahead of your brain. He said that to me a few times. And unfortunately, I think it still does at times. My mouth gets ahead of my brain. Maybe yours does too. So, we must make a determination that we want to control what comes out of our mouths. That's where the process of improvement begins. We must make a determination that we want to control what comes out of our mouths. Now, this is a huge step. For when we make this decision, we set aside excuses like, well, they got what they deserved. Or, that's just what happens when I get angry. Or, nobody talks to me that way. I know that there are a number of additional excuses that we tend to use when the wrong words come out of our mouths, but let me address the three that I've just mentioned, okay? Number one, they got what they deserved. Bad excuse. Isn't it ironic how eager we are for others to get what they deserve, but never want what we deserve? 
In God's economy, we deserve only punishment. Right? Yet God in His mercy withholds that from us, that holds that punishment from us because of what Jesus has done for us. How about this one? That's, that's what happens when I get angry. Well, the Scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. And everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And then, nobody talks to me that way. Did you know that God lets people talk to Him that way? Think of the lies and verbal abuse that Jesus endured during His trial and crucifixion. And how did He respond? He was silent. His response was to say nothing. Now, this does not mean that we have to endure anything that anyone chooses to say to us. We do not, however, have to respond in kind. Two wrongs still do not make a right. In Proverbs 51, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh harsh words stir up anger. And in Romans chapter 12, and this is from verses 17 and 18, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that has a lot to do with what comes out of your mouth. So once we've made this determination that we want to control what comes out of our mouths, there are three important truths that we need to realize. Number one, we have no power in and of ourselves to tame our tongue. This means you better let God help you. James says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Well, he also says, but no one can tame the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Only God can help us with that. The second thing we need to realize is this. Our words are an outward reflection of an inward reality. In other words, what comes out of here reflects what's in your heart. The Bible says that. The issue is the heart. We must fix the inside to fix the outside. How do you do that? Well, we need to ask ourselves four questions. And the first is this. Am I honest with myself about this issue? Am I honest with myself? Again, James says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Are we being honest about this issue in our lives? The second question we must ask is, Am I walking with God? If you are, Paul tells us 
the things that should be evident in your life. And, and he listens for us and he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And he says, against such things there is no law. You can practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all you want. Because there's no law against those things. God's law or man's law. The next question we must ask, and I've referred to this already, am I thinking before speaking? Is what I want to say true? Is it necessary? Is it kind or gracious? Again, Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then the final question we need to ask ourselves if we're determined to make a change in this area of our lives is, am I willing to be accountable to others? Will I let others call me on this? Do they have the right to talk to you about the things that come out of your mouth? In the body of Christ, we, that, we should allow that to happen. That's, that's something that uh, goes along with being a part of the body of Christ is accountability. They know all about that in CR, don't they? Yeah. Do others have the right, do others in the body of Christ have the right to talk to me about my words? And then, control of the tongue is a mark of spiritual maturity. Again, it fits under that last fruit, under the category of self-control. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-8, through 8, we find these words. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I mentioned that in my prayer this morning. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In other words, to live life in a godly way. Through our knowledge of Him who, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And one of those evil desires is to let things come out of your mouth that God would be displeased with, that would be hurtful or defaming to others. For this reason, Peter writes, make Every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the tongue can keep you from being, can, can cause you to be ineffective and unproductive. So the more we know God, 
the more mature we, we become and the more evidence that these godly characteristics uh, uh, we uh, more evidence we have of these godly characteristics in our lives, the more likelihood we have that we will control our tongue. We will have greater control of our tongue. And that is a good thing, right? So I want to, um, want to wrap up with this interesting little poem today that is very, very true. I don't know who wrote it, but it says this. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declares the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue and early death. Or sometimes takes this form instead, don't let your tongue cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word whose speed, say the Chinese, outstrips the steed. The Arab, the Arab sages said in part, the tongue's great storehouse is the heart. From Hebrew was the maxim sprung, thy feet should slip, but ne'er the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole who keeps his tongue doth keep his soul. So here's a good prayer to pray. Maybe daily. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Oh, what kind of trouble that could save us from. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are going to move right into communion at this time. And if those